Hi, hi, Jonathan Seligman here. In a bit, we're going to have a really good conversation with a truly wonderful guest, Kirsten Oberoi. And we talk about a lot of things, so I'm just going to consolidate it here. Kirsten is a music educator on the East Coast, um, forming the South Shore Children's Chorus over in the Boston area. But even after her day job, she really seeks and learns and tries to understand and focuses and have conversations on student-focused and student-centered learning, not in a theoretical fashion, but in practice. So we talk a lot about um, her journey as a music educator, uh, her thoughts on music advocacy, and if or if not, cereal is a soup. <laughs> You'll get it in a bit. Um, so I guess I'll let her words speak. Without further ado, our talk. Welcome to Chaotic Harmony. My name is John. This is Crystal. We talk about the joys and the challenges of teaching music in the elementary school classroom. We share struggles, we brainstorm solutions, and we would love to have you join us. Welcome back to another episode of Chaotic Harmony. Um, I have no clue when this episode is going to be released thanks to the um, lovely element of nonlinear editing, but I am your host, uh, Jonathan Seligman. <laughs> Don't you judge me. I haven't even introduced you yet. So we are today joined by an amazing person. I think I say this a lot, amazing people. Um, it's okay. They'll hear the microphone. It's all Okay. Good. I'm yeah. sorry. It's like falling down. That's good. I'm going to tighten that. Yeah, there we go. Um, so while she's tightening the mic, uh, I would like to introduce an amazing guest, Kristen O'Berry. Oh, you're the worst. <laughs> you are the actual worst. Um, no, no, her name. Actually, how about you? From your own mouth, who are our guests today? My name is Kirsten Oberoi, Oberoi, and I have known John for a very long time, and so he likes to make fun of the fact that people struggle with my name, and that's okay. <laughs> it was more of a mutual element. So, Kirsten and I have been friends. It's okay. I think I can bump I, your. Okay. You will be right. good. Be good. All right. Um, I have been, yeah, we've been, as mentioned by Kirsten, I've been friends with her since she was a freshman in university. So that's like, what, 14 years, 13 yeah, something years? Like something like yeah. that. Um, and, and as you know, my name is Jonathan Seligman to the point where at the end of every episode, I always have to say, spell out my name, M-R-S-E-L-I-G-M-A-N. But people mispronounce our names. Mm -hmm. The point when we took poetry together, we were both called out and it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, and the person in charge, uh, up next is Joe Siegelman and Kristen Sh Shelter. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, regardless, uh, Kirsten is a wonderful friend of mine, um, and she is a fellow music educator from across the uh, uh, the fields, across the whatever colloquialism you want to come over in the, the Boston area. So um, we'll get to her program notes in a bit. But before we start, I'm going to change it up. Since you're a guest of ours, uh, I have three questions for you. First All right, enough. let's jump in. Is cereal a soup? I want to answer this very carefully. Is cereal a soup? Is well, cereal, oh. I guess that you have to define mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. what is a soup. Okay. Right? That's going to be an important first step to answering this very important question. What is a soup? What defines a soup? Is Gazpacho a soup? is a soup, that's and true, that is also true. cold. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. And it is defined as a soup. Um, I think, you know, is it liquid with something floating in it? My, my concern about cereal being a soup. I love how you take this so seriously. Go for it. <laughs> I, I mean, did you expect anything less? I don't know. Um, my concern about cereal being a soup is that even gazpacho is at some point cooked. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. And mm. cereal is not in any which way or form cooked. Well, actually the cereal itself is baked. Ergo. I'm going to go with yes. Cereal is a soup. Okay, you heard it, ladies and gentlemen, all y'all. So, Cereal is a Soup from Kirsten Oberoi. Um, what is the best song written in the past 100 years? Boom, boom. Whoa. Best song written in 100 years. Um, it would have to be something that really stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. Especially over 100 years. Yeah, especially over a hundred years. Um, something that I know, something that the kids know, something that their parents Lightning, know. lightning, boom, boom. Oh, it's a lightning? You didn't say it was I lightning. Know, but you said no, three but questions. Like, I was expecting the nonetheless. <gasps> okay, so. Okay, first all right. First thought. Um, first thought is something that everybody knows. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Okay, and lastly, movable door or fixed door? 
movable dough a thousand percent. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Before we get to your housekeeping, a couple um, no, to your program notes, a couple of bits of housekeeping. First off, um, make sure to check out our Patreon. We have a Patreon. It's up. Um, thank you to our first subscriber, Jamie Jun, for helping us out. But if you want to check us, check out our stuff, we are placing stuff on there, and there's merch to be looked at as well. Um, nonetheless, we're here not for that. We're here for Kirsten. So, Kirsten, um, tell us your program notes. Who are you? Where like where have you been teaching? What's your journey been? Just all the good news. And this is not lightning, so take your time if you want to. Not lightning. Not okay, lightning. well, thank you for making that very specific. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. need really good directions. No. Um, <laughs> thank you, John. Uh, yeah, so my journey starts in Massachusetts. I was born in Quincy, Massachusetts, um, to two people who did choral music in a very musical family. So I grew up extremely musical. I played the violin when I was very, very young and played concertos by the time I was eight and quit by the time I was nine. <laughs> and then uh, I played the trumpet when we got to choose instruments in the fourth grade. Mm. And then when my parents split, I decided I was going to just be the black sheep of the family and not go into classical music, but I was going to do the devil's work. Ooh. Rock Musical and roll? theater. Oh, even worse. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it. And okay. I learned more. And I had a great community and a great teacher, Mrs. Spencer. And that was where I really learned. Like, I felt good somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I was a pretty weird little middle schooler. I mean, in sixth grade, like, I got a perm and I wore matching sweatsuits, which is cool now, but wasn't cool when I was in the sixth grade. You say were, but... Um... Um, and so, you know, I, I had my things. I wasn't necessarily the coolest of personalities, but I found a home in musical theater. I loved going to after school practices. I loved just being around. And that really kind of catapulted me. I actually didn't join chorus until ninth grade. Fascinating. Okay. Um, I sung all the time, mm -hmm. but I sung solos. I sung in musicals. I sung... You know, I, I might have dabbled in it in eighth grade, but it was at my school, it was like, you know, 12 of us singing Kelly Clarkson's Breakaway after school. Oh, man. It was great. Um, but, you know, that was that was sort of my experience. And then when I hit ninth grade, I was like, all right, like, I guess I'll do this thing. Sure. And I got really into it because, again, I found that community and I was like, oh, I have friends and I really like had a lot of fun but again it wasn't like this crazy stellar super varsity choir program that okay. i was performing this like really incredible and i quote collegiate level music in high school don't get me started we'll get that we down will get the road. there yes um but you know i wasn't doing that i was doing like really basic high school music mm -hmm. and we did you know sometimes we did things more challenging sometimes we did easier things you know um but it was great and I had fun and I had something to do and I was doing that and I was doing some community theater stuff and I was doing a job and I just was always staying busy. And so when I graduated from high school, um, I did get into all state chorus my junior and senior year. And I will never forget one really defining moment. And I think a lot of us have this, but the defining moment for me wasn't necessarily that like I went to all state chorus and everyone was so good mm -hmm. right it what that wasn't what motivated me what motivated me was this we did eric whitaker's luke's a room quay mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. senior year and the person who conducted the the woman she stood in front and we all sang this chord and i was a really good musician but i didn't understand i didn't get it i didn't sure. get it at all yeah. it was I, I was singing in a cloud and i <laughs> thought i was right but i had no idea right and this woman closed her eyes, listened to the cloud sound, stopped everyone and said, no, soprano twos, it's ooh. And I went, what witchery is that? How does this woman close her eyes and without looking at any music, just understand this sound that is so far beyond anything I've ever heard? Yeah. And that sort of catapulted me into like, oh, like maybe there's more to this course thing. But mm, I graduated high school okay. and I was like, I'm going to go. I'm not going to major in music education because the last thing I'm going to be is a public school music educator. <laughs> I am going to just get a bachelor of music and I am going to conduct pits of musical theater on national tour and I'm going to see the country. And my 18 year old self was like, sweet, I'm in. And then I got to where we met at Point Loma Nazarene yep. University 
And I walked into my first day of chorus at Point Loma Singers. And I was hooked. I was hooked. Just the, the community and the f- how much of a family it was. But in musical theater, you'd do a show for three months. And those people, I mean, it was it was hyper family. Sure. I mean, yeah. you just, you spent every single day. And they were your best friends. They were all you talked to. And then all of a sudden, whoop, especially in community theater, right? It was like, oh, okay, show's over, done. Some of those people I never saw again. And they were like my best friends for three mm. months. And I realized that choir had more of a long-term yeah. thing. It wasn't seasonal. It wasn't seasonal. It was something that I could continue doing and creating relationships that lasted. And I was like, okay, I'm down for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I became a music composition major. Hey. Because I really liked music theory, and mm-hmm. that led to many, many, many a night composing yes. in the computer lab with you mm-hmm. and studying for music history and lots of 2 a.m. burritos. Lots of 2 a.m. burritos. Lots of 2 a.m. burritos. <laughs> um, but after graduating, I started building programs okay. because I liked choir, yeah. but I liked people more. Yeah. And I really just like starting stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right. I started an after school program at San Diego High School. And I started a before school program at a middle school in Point Loma. And I started a summer choral intensive program through the professional choir I was singing at. And I worked for San Diego Children's Choir. And, you know, like I was doing just a little bit of everything. And I was freelancing and I was, you know, sleeping until 11 and up till 3. And like it was just this crazy life schedule. And then my then boyfriend, now husband, was like, I want to go get a doctorate. So I need to move. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, okay, guess we're moving. I was a little sad about it, but sure. um, he ended up getting in and deciding on Boston University. So we moved back home. Okay. And when I... How was that for you? Like... It was okay. Yeah. Um, it was okay. It was very familiar. Was it, um, did you feel like it was time or did you like, not want... Or... Did you? I, mean, I guess I'm coming from the stance. Did, were you leaving when you left Boston? You wanted to, did you want to stay in San Diego, or did you always have a feeling you would come back to the East Coast? I don't think I really had thought that far. Okay. To be honest, I don't think that there was a time in my life that I was like, I never want to see Boston again. Sure. Okay. A lot of my reasoning for wanting to move from Boston was mm-hmm. that my parents were such big names in the community that I wanted to yeah. see if I could do it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. If I would still be, because I was kind of the daughter of, mm. and I wasn't really. You weren't Kirsten my own thing and I came here where I knew no one and I was like oh I'm still good at this cool that's great I can do this thing but when we moved back I got a job with a children's chorus in the city of Boston proper I lived on the south shore and grew up on the south shore um but I got a a job in in the city and um they named me at 24 their artistic director and I was charged with um training these fifth through eighth graders for Boston Lyric Opera, for the Boston Symphony Orchestra to sing Mm -hmm. Mahler with Mm -hmm. with the big wigs and, you know, me, this tiny itty bitty little human and all of the old white guys. And, um, you know, I did that job for a little while. And it was a very interesting demographic that I had never worked with before. And they were all pretty, for the most part, pretty wealthy families Mm, mm. and these kids were in here because they really did want these names on their resume they wanted to sing with the boston symphony orchestra their parents wanted them to sing with boston lyric opera but they hated each other it's fascinating because they were in the same chorus but they were auditioning for the same roles and then i was you know, the, the organization was getting paid from the organization and the parents were paying the organization and I was just supposed to churn out kids that knew how the notes and rhythms went. It was almost of course was a means for their politicking. Kind of. Yeah, it was almost like a casting agency yeah, in a way. Yeah. And I felt really weird about it. And I was like, look, and I went to the board and I said, look, this is what I want to do. I want to turn this into a chorus. Hmm. And they had 11 performances for the spring, including their own... Um, uh, their own operetta to okay. put on okay. with fifth through eighth graders. And I was like, I've got an idea. How wait, about wait, wait, we wait. don't Sorry. do that? Remind me of the age? Uh, 10 to 14. Unchanged voices. So I was okay. like, cool. I was like, okay, like that's really exciting. But how about we not do that? And instead, let me just focus on the choir concert. I'll do mm-hmm. a couple of these go outs, but let me build some community here. Yeah. And they literally went, nah. And I went, 
Okay. Wait, why, why, what was, why not? Were they, because that's not what they do. But what was their goal then, exactly? To get the gigs with the names. And and that's okay, you sure, know. I'm I'm but... not I'm not talking down to that because the kids also sort of had the same goal. You know what I mean? Their parents had the same goal. They were in this because that's what this organization did. Sure. And I don't think with how young I was, I understood that when I took that job, that's the job I was taking. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I I had seen those big names and like I was excited. I was like, yeah, I want to be that human. And I taught them really well, and and they were really good because mm. they were they had been doing this forever right. so they could sight read the heck out of anything and they were they were stellar but they didn't like each other and i was like something is off so i ended up um actually leaving that job i lasted in that job for three months <laughs> but you know the interesting thing about it was i lasted for three months and by that third month i wasn't eating I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't able to keep a schedule because I was so at odds with my own self and my sure. own philosophy yeah. that I was like, this is this is not what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so um, I left yeah. and I resigned um, and I worked at the mall. And I'm not, you know, putting down working at the mall. No, not but at all. Because I, I still, uh, to this day, I wait tables once a week because I enjoy it and I like being brought back into a world that literally does not care at all if I teach music well it's so good for my humanness mm. to recognize especially post pandemic sure um, yeah. that my life will go on without choral music and I can be of service to the earth and I can be of service and have worth in the world without that and so my weekly restaurant mm. and summer restaurant work helps me engage with people who don't care yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's awesome it's yeah. great so after that i started working at the mall and and that was january of 2016 and i said you know what if i don't like the way other people do it i guess i'll have to do it my own way mm. and that was where my organization was born the south shore children's chorus and i um i founded it right in my hometown that i grew up in the south shore of massachusetts and now, uh, I also that year got a job teaching in a public school, um, fifth through eighth grade. And I was like, I'll do this for one or two years and then I won't be a public school music educator. And five years later, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, I learned more about myself. I learned mm-hmm. more about teaching. I learned more about students. I learned more about philosophy. I had chance to um, experiment and explore with what I was doing. And then post pandemic, um, I had a really tough time in Massachusetts. Um, instruments got approved sooner than singing. And I was, could you expound on that? We talked about that a little bit before mm. the recording record, but like when you say instruments got approved, what does that mean? exactly? Uh, the state had the, the rules. The yes. COVID rules, uh-huh. right? And um, okay, COVID restriction got through sooner than singing. Yes. In. Okay. So okay. Okay. we were not in a place in Massachusetts where we could do outdoors mm-hmm. all year. Wait, why not? Because it's freezing, John. What, what, it's freezing. so cold. It's so cold right now in San Diego. Yeah. Uh huh. It's sixty-six degrees. It's really nice. Oh, so freezing. Um, <laughs> no, but. Uh, you know, the COVID restrictions, yeah. um, basically, they were able to bring the instruments inside and they could rehearse inside six feet apart with right. instrument masking, right? And they still said no to singing. And this was in February. So it was the dead of winter. Sure, yeah. And I had already been teaching inside not singing chorus mm-hmm. for months. Yeah. Everything was looking up. They got approved. I was livid. I was just mad at that point. I was just angry. And I'm not a very... I'm not good at being angry because I'm like a really like happy person generally. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was really angry and I remember walking into our shared music office and I said, you know what? I give up. I'm just going to give the kids a study every chorus class. Mm-hmm. If they can play an instrument instead of switching off, they should just go to instrument because they're actually going to do music. Right, right. And I'm just going to give the other kids a study and I'll help them with their homework if they need it. They can bring their computers. That's all. That's that's it. I, I can't do anything if I can't teach them music. And a colleague looked at me after I said that very emphatic, dramatic thing, I'm sure with lots of hand throwing. You know. And <laughs> my colleague looked at me and said, you know, 
I just really don't think that's true. Which part? That uh, that I didn't have anything that I could teach them outside of music. Oh. And I was like, it was really sincere the way he said that. And I was like, okay, like that's nice, but like what then? So I went home and I just thought about that over and over and over again. And then I started doing things like, you know, I, I have had a journey of how the heck do I organize myself for approximately the past seven years. And I think we're both in Simbo there. <laughs> so I have about hmm, a closet full of planners that I used for three weeks and then mm-hmm. didn't use again. So I went and I copied a page out of every planner and I made a packet and we went through and we said, what style works for you? And I was like, okay, maybe I can teach them that. Maybe they can come in and I can ask them how they are. Maybe I can actually be someone that can help them in life. And all of a sudden that was a shift where my priorities began to change. And I started to say, maybe it's not actually like singing brings them confidence so they should learn how to sing. But maybe it's they gain confidence by having a relationship in a room of people being vulnerable and who they can trust, and then they get better at singing. Mm-hmm. And that brings me to today. I'm a full-time uh, artistic director of my organization, the South Shore Children's Chorus. We now have 170 singers, grades K through 12. Um, we do 17 classes a week, which is amazing. Um, I have a staff of 15 that works for me. And I pretty much talk about this all the time. And, you know, I, I will shameless plug. I also have a podcast. <laughs> hey. um, and you can go listen to John's episode yes. on my podcast from a while ago. We'll have to do a reboot. But um, my podcast is Choral Connectivity, a people-first approach mm-hmm. to singing. And I talk to people from all over the country and one person from Ireland, Dublin Youth Choir. Um, But we talk about just that, that singing comes second and people come first. And I have yet to see a point in which that doesn't work out way better than the other way around. Interesting. In that whole segment, I feel like I learned way more about you, despite (laughs) the fact that I've known you for 13 years. Like, first off, I didn't know, like, scaling back to the very beginning, yeah. Um, I did not know that you were not part of choir until much later. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. And it's also interesting as you break down the whole element of music, um, musical theater, because I was never part of musical theater. Right. Um, I did maybe dabble a little bit here and there, but like never was. And so like, oh yeah, that is vastly different. And so it's been really interesting because like even at Point Loma, I've always known you as you bring, you meet people where they're at. Mm. And it's something I commend you deeply for. Um, no need to go. <laughs> thank you, John. <laughs> like, you know, really, but like, I, I find it fascinating because first off, um, when I was on your podcast and like you making that the crux of your podcast, it goes to show that that is there because it's not that way. It's not the norm, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And it blows my mind, especially since I guess I grew up as a folk musician. So that's mm-hmm. just, well, well, well yeah. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Right. Why do you think that is? Why is it that? What is it about music education that, or do you, I don't know. I can answer your question. You Read haven't even asked it well, it. but. I... Oh, I, hey, this is my <laughs> podcast. Uh, no need to throw shade at me on the microphone. Yo, yes, you didn't even it. say my name right when we started. Oh, that so. was intentional, girl. Um, okay. No, but. So, uh, why? Yeah. I, I do think the why comes from, you know, we are trained when we say, okay, we are going to enter music mm-hmm. and we are going to teach music. We enter music education programs and pretty much what we are doing is skill building in music. We are learning to become better listeners. Mm -hmm, We are mm -hmm. learning to become better sight readers, better, 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 better. So that way we can go in and have the musical skills to be able to, I mean, who said this um, on my podcast? Um, Jace Saplan, who's wonderful um, at the uh, University of Arizona. But they were talking to me about like we as conductors or leaders of a music ensemble we are literally trained to listen for the wrong Mm. and then fix it 
That is what our training is. Like everything we do is to be able to problem solve sure. in a way, yeah. right? Oh, the tenors are singing the wrong note. Why are they singing the wrong note? Are they singing it because it's actually a wrong note? Are they singing it because their vocal technique it needs some improvement? Are they singing a wrong note because there's another point in the piece where it's similar but not exactly what's written? So we're consistently problem solving. And we're consistently error detecting. Where's the error? Where's the error? Where's the error? Mm -hmm. So, and then we're taught to score study. How do you want the music to go? You take, because you are the leader, you take and you create this picture. And you get all of these people on board to your picture of what that sound is. Which is great. Except that's so preconceived. Yeah. And then we, we hear that picture and we say, no, 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 excuse me, alto section, or even worse sometimes, alto voice. You are not fitting into my picture of what I hear. And the way I like to approach things is, you know, do I go in when I conduct my group mm -hmm. with an idea of what it sounds like? Absolutely. Yeah. I have ideas of what I want. I have ideas of what it sounds like. Now, part of that is because most of my group I've been teaching for a really long time at this point. So I know them really well and I know what repertoire is going to work for them. Mm -hmm. But even when I go and conduct, I, I do a lot of honor choirs, a lot of festivals. I have an idea of what I want to want it to sound like. But then I'm consistently watching and going, all right. I got this, I got this bass and you know, I'm, I, I'm doing a middle school honor choir and it's SAB repertoire and all of the baritones are doing great except that one bass his voice is just a little too changed and he just he's in he's in the ninth grade and he just does not have the ability to technically float a d above middle c right now uh -huh. he just doesn't have that so how can i adjust my picture to make that kid successful how can i say you know what i know that this section says piano and that all sopranos altos and baritones are matching pitch but let's do this um can we just have sopranos and altos sing that note and baritones can you come in here because when you come in in the lower end it will really bring together that phrase mm -hmm. and i'm not saying hey baritone don't sing that if you can't float it it's not what i'm saying it's a very different direction yeah. it's how can i make this a creative choice, an artistic yeah. choice that fits the people in front of me. It's almost as if the you as the director are part of the creation process because you have to change just as much as the child has to change. And yet that's not there for a lot of people. Fat it's not because it's not how we're taught. Which, But it's funny because we always talk about – I feel like one of the most lauded things about music education or arts education in general is that it is a very creative element. It is not like the standard. It's not reading, writing, arithmetic. It's not rigid. And yet how do we as uh, – rather, how does the status quo of music education teach? Well, you know, John, I've been talking a lot about this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a lot in the way that we advocate for ourselves. I mean – for forever, NAFME and our overarching organizations, and we've been, you know, even within our own sort of schools, we're saying, no, like, we deserve time of instruction because we are just like math. Mm -hmm. We are good for yeah. math. We are good for science, right? And then we're saying, oh, yeah, so we have to, like, qualify, quantify. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, yep. that's fine. <laughs> Welcome, folks. This is me, 100% on the table for hey. you. Um, we have to quantify what we're doing. So we have to test every child um, in singing to make sure that they are at the standard that we are at. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, however, right, what we've, we've decided to not take into account is that we are really, really different. Yeah. And... Brene Brown, in all of her leadership books, has this way that she talks about fitting in versus belonging. Mm. And unfortunately, I think a lot of our music advocacy is about fitting in. Sure. And then, then, therefore, our teaching becomes about fitting in. Okay. Can you blend into the sound? Can you blend? Can you blend in? We're actually legitimately asking them to blend. Yeah. How is that creative? How is that expressive? Can you lose your identity to make sure that we as the homogenous sound, sound quote unquote correct? 
and and it's terrible. I hate it. Yeah. I hate it so much. And and I I don't even like using the word blend. Can you listen to your neighbor and make sure you're blending? Because the number one thing that any singer will do is sing softer. Let me hide myself more. Mm-hmm. Let me come more into. We're not taking account for body shape, body size, instrument. Considering mm-hmm. every single one's unique. No, 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 no. We're not going to take that. Make the same sound. Let me tell you, I'm five two and a half. And I make a lot of sound for a little girl. But, like, if you put me next to someone pretty big or older mm-hmm. or literally any different from me in any which way you decide to talk about it, then guess what? We're going to sound different. Yeah. So we need to figure out how to take me plus you and belong in the same choir and in the same space. But I don't want to fit in with you. I want your and my voice to then jigsaw puzzle a piece together two thoughts multiple thoughts actually that's really let's be real here but like uh, as you're mentioning the whole us trying to fit into the advocacy element yeah i I agree with you for for sure part of me wonders though then okay how do we get these people that don't understand what we do to defend us i'm talking about those who are not in the arts realm do we Um, understand what we do that's a great question Mm. Do we know how to speak our value? Because quite frankly, you're right. You are absolutely right. For those who are speaking for us, they have no idea what to say when they talk, when they speak about our unique value. But do we? Mm. We need to spend time creating what we're going to say about our value. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, you don't need to apologize. <laughs> no, you are you are full on correct. And I think about so many people also. I think about some of our friends as well who are great, you know, musical directors, but like they did what what their what was done before. And so their form of advocacy has always been this is how it's been. I feel like it's been one of the most um the bulwarks of <laughs> a lot of creative elements. Oh, that's just how it's been done. But like, why don't we rethink our advocacy? Okay. Huh. Then my then another question is, do you think do you think that it is more likely that the general ed is more uh, will adopt our perception of creating belongingness as as a form of qual- qualifying qual- qual- what you say <laughs> quantifying uh, quantifying um like assessing essentially. Do you think our form of assessment for the general ed will change first or do you think our music like, arts ed will just form its own means of assessment. Is, am I making sense? A little bit. Yeah. I, I think I I find... I'm I asking you a fortune teller, mind you. No, I, I, I happen to be the kind of person that if there is a way to forge a brand new path, mm-hmm. I will be there with a machete. True, yeah. Like, that just tends to be my personality. Yeah. Like, I, I look around and I say, okay, like, that's not working, so why do it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I take a lot of... Um, pride and and love in that saying that's like the the definition of crazy is doing the same thing over and over Mm -hmm. again and and expecting different results um i am not afraid of risk and i am not afraid of trying something new i am not afraid of something new that i try totally failing and Mm -hmm. falling on my butt why because i've done it seventy thousand times i created my own children's choir nonprofit organization having zero experience doing that thing and i don't say that to lift myself up i do it because it's part of my personality yeah. right um and so i think for me i don't really care what gen ed thinks mm. you know um i hear a lot of the argument you know the teacher says have fun on the way out the door okay well how many people are we actually going and saying, hey, you have a minute after school. I noticed you said that. When you say that, it makes me feel this. Or are we just complaining about it? You know, and I'm not a, a who was it? Um, Arianne Harley Emerson was on a um, podcast episode with me and he used this phrase, so I'm, and I'm going to steal it. Cave people complain about virtually everything. Okay. Love it. And I think sometimes we, as music and arts educators, Complain a lot and don't do a lot about it. Mm. You know, um, the best arts educators I see are the ones that are like making friends with people at their school. Yeah. 
yes. that are yes. that are in the classroom and helping to create things. And I'm not saying go above and beyond your contract. I'm not saying go above and beyond your job. I'm saying instead of eating lunch in your classroom, go to the teacher's room. I'm saying when you have a student who's really challenging, go talk to their homeroom teacher. I'm saying when somebody says something like have fun to the kids on the way to your classroom and it bugs you, be an adult and go tell them it yeah. bugs you. And say why, mm -hmm. and and give them options of other things to say, or when they come back to the classroom, say, "What did you learn today?" And and I think that that's that's going to be a really important part of changing our advocacy is recognizing, is being able to name things and being unafraid mm. to name it to other people, and also not really giving a crap if they care, yeah. right? Like like. Okay, like if this if if some teacher at your school says, yeah, well, you know, music isn't that important. Okay, okay, that's your opinion. You can have that opinion. There's going to be a lot of people in life that you're not going to yep. be able to change their <laughs> opinion of. But there's a lot of people out there that maybe we could change their opinion if we approach them the right way, and if we knew what we were going to say. Hmm. Right. A lot of changing people's opinions is giving them new words. So don't just say, hey, can you not say go have fun when the kids leave? Say, instead of saying have fun, because I think that kind of can paint the picture that my classroom is only fun and not as content-based as yep. yours. Mm -hmm. Although I do agree that it is fun and I want it to be fun for the kids. Maybe could you try saying, you know, whatever else you want. But Enjoy yourselves. Or yeah, yeah, or or... You know, um, I can't wait to hear what you learned today mm -hmm. in music. And then when they come back, I don't know. I, I just think that it's important that we that we use words and that we, we give people new verbiage if we're going to try and change things. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think a lot of what you just said there is like, first off, do the stuff. <laughs> uh, I, I, similar to what you were saying in your class, uh, well, rather what I said about you in your class and that you meet the child where, where they're at. Also just meet the situation where they're at, like where it's at, because you're right. We can talk about how much inequity there is. Mm -hmm. um, but if we aren't willing to actually just think first and then do, who are we to complain? Hmm. I I think it's a really important part. I think, you know, how many times do we hear, oh, music teachers can be so siloed, they can be so lonely, they can be the, the only one on their campus. And yeah, that's absolutely true. But that's also a little bit of a choice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I recognize my situation here at Casillas is, I'm, I'm, as one person has one thrown at me unjustly, I'm at a very privileged situation. Because <laughs> um, the people I work with are great people. Mm -hmm. But also, like... I made a choice to be in the lounge. I made a choice to choice to talk to people to make those connections. Yeah, like I know some situations are difficult, but I think just that's been one of my biggest critique about music teachers. It's like mm -hmm. we are like people in general are siloed, and like why don't we expand ourselves? We don't teach. Do you want to know why? Because we're siloed from the time we're in high school. Oh, the music room mm. is their safe space. The music room is where we went. When I was in choir, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't talk to anybody outside the choir room. Nope. That choir room was my safe space. That choir room was where I went. And I'm not bashing that. I think that's important. However, then I got to college. What did I do in college? I spent an obnoxious amount of hours with you <laughs> in the basement composing where we were just staring at computers together. Yeah. Right? And did can you name a lot of friends from college that you had that weren't music majors? My freshman year, yes. My sophomore year, somewhat. And then it went downhill. And then it went downhill. Yes. The older we get, the more we get. And then all of a sudden, we get to adulthood. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't actually know anyone that isn't connected in some way to music. I know a couple of people that aren't music teachers, but they sing. They sing in a community chorus. Right, they do something, right. blah, blah, blah. And um, it wasn't actually like basically until the pandemic um, 
I got my puppies. They're the best, and I love them. They're Chester and Charlie, and they're Littermate English Cream Golden Retrievers, and they're much cuter than any other dog that lives on the planet. Um, And I took them to puppy class. And Charlie was in a puppy class, and this other couple about my age was also in that puppy class, and they had a Golden Retriever puppy. And so we decided to take the Golden Retriever puppies on a play date. And for the first time in my adult life, I made friends, really good friends. They are my best friends now, two and a half years, almost three, three years later. I made friends with people who didn't do music at all. Mm. It's a nurse and an online computer guy. <laughs> online computer guy. Yeah, I don't know. I never know what online computer guys do. That's okay. But, um, but, you know, my friends, George and Elizabeth, are some of the most important people in my life. And part of that is because, again, ugh, and if I keep going down this rabbit hole, we tie so much worth to what we do. Yeah. We are only worth on this planet what we teach. But when you make a friend, or like I was saying, when you go to a restaurant job, when, where, where they like you because of who you are. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to bet, I'm going to make up some research. I'm willing to bet that at least 87% of music teachers, that is a totally made up number. I have not done this research. But at least 87% of music teachers only hang out with other music teachers. Hmm. And their worth is solely defined by what they do. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's not a great way to live. No, it's not. And I just sort of started finding this out two years ago in my 30s. Um, But I have been so much happier having friends that, like... My best friends don't even come to my children's choir concerts because mm. they just like they're not going to go to a children's choir concert because yeah. they don't really care. Yeah. And that's OK. That doesn't mean that they don't think that my work, my work is not worthwhile. Mm-hmm. It's just my work. You know, she's a nurse. I wouldn't like go to the hospital to see her nurse. Right. <laughs> like I wouldn't go like over my friend's shoulder and watch him Internet and computer. You know what I mean? Like I, I that's not like. In normal people, right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they don't really go into other people's jobs. Yeah. But we do. Yeah. We do all the time. We invest ourselves so heavily. And so I think that's part of the problem, too. Hmm. Interesting. That was a really long no, riff. It, I don't know where that came from, but... I mean, it came from your brain, my dude. But <laughs> but regardless, I, I think that's... I think there's some truth there. Uh and even if you have friends that, you know, or even if there are music teachers that, you know, have multiple friends that are beyond that, it still is, I think there's a, there's a truth behind that. There's always that, that, that element of the music room was always a safe room. And I, we do that for our students. And that's great. I think it's also important for us to find ways, I guess, also to encourage them to find safe spaces beyond the walls that we teach. Or at least teach them the worth of them yeah, mm, without without the music right yeah. like when when my students i you know i like to think of my rehearsal my rehearsal is a very 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 safe space and i think that's an overused word now and we just keep using these words over and over and like they lose meaning the more we use them but i have a one that i like to throw in there i'll share with that afterwards but so in my rehearsal i like to imagine that each of my kids comes in with a backpack right and that backpack has weights and stories and feathers Mm -hmm. inside right and when they come in my door i'm not going to tell them to leave their backpack at the door we we have now gone past that in sel we recognize that saying leave it at the door come in and rehearse is not good for mental health it's really not good for mental health so we we know that now but they they've got these backpacks on Mm -hmm. and during that first 15 minutes when they're coming in I'm going around and I'm asking them, what do you want to share with me from your backpack? And I, you know, they don't have to share what they don't want to share. They can share a weight. They can share a story. They can share a feather, right? But maybe it's just a feather. I had a test this week. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Great. That's just a feather. But it gives me something that I, you know, I don't care about how you sound here. And then they start to share these weights and feathers and stories with each other. So I'm not just teaching them, 
music. I'm teaching them how to relate with one another and then how to turn that into expression on the musical stage. But it is so important. I mean, it's crazy to think how many times we look at a student or we, you know, and, and often sometimes this actually works the opposite way. Have you ever looked at your classroom and recognized an important musical kid isn't there and you go, oh, crap, how am I going to run this rehearsal? I understand that feeling. I'm gone, but I understand the feeling, yes. Right? <laughs> like, I know it's happened to me. I'm like, oh, like my, my, my kid that sings alto really loud and really right isn't here, right? Mm-hmm. But what that is saying is it's putting higher weight on some students yeah. than others, mm-hmm. right? Which is another topic I won't dive into right now because I could keep talking about this forever. <laughs> but I actually am, am currently writing an article on it okay. um, on why I think we should stop doing section leaders in high school ensembles. Okay. I'd be curious to read that. Yeah. Where is it getting published? Uh, the Chorus Connection blog. Okay. Check it out. When um, will it be, when will it be uh, published? When I finish writing it. But yeah, I just think it's, you know, when we have this, and I quote, safe space, we have to recognize that it needs to be a safe, safe, safe space for people. And we create it. Not its its own magical safe space. Yeah. We create it. We have to be active in actually creating. I mean, to Correct. make it. It's intentional. Yes, I like. I mentioned this on the podcast before. I I don't think your podcast I mentioned it on, but um, it wasn't coined by this person. But there's an amazing um, music educator, Alice Soy. She mentioned this topic of creating courageous spaces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've like, heard that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good addition, not a replacement, but a good addition mm-hmm. to remember. It's not just about like, I feel like courage is also something that isn't just passive. It's constant, mm-hmm. and so having in the back of my mind is like, yeah, we need to make sure that this space isn't always going to be safe. It's not always going to be courage like dot 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 whatever. But we have we have to make it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and it helps us remember as educators that every single thing that comes out of the child's face means that they had to be brave enough to let it mm. come out of their face. Yeah. Right? And that <clears throat> that includes mistakes, that includes yeah. things that are good and things that are musically correct and things that are not musically correct. Like mm-hmm. it everything they do, every motion they make um is brave in its way. Yeah. And it's adding to that cre- courageous space. Mm-hmm. And the the tricky part is we have to get them to be creative or courageous with each other yes not just us yes and then being courageous with people outside of the room mm. and ultimately that's the goal and i think that's the difference in what we're saying in like creating that safe space in the classroom and then we basically never leave it and we only talk to people who do our thing for the rest of our lives like remember that thing like instead can we teach students oh you know this is how to be brave this is how to be courageous courageous this is how to start a conversation with someone you don't know within your thing yeah now go do it outside of your thing right and it doesn't mean that they have to stop loving chorus more than anything in the entire world right like that's that's not what i'm saying i'm not saying that but i am saying that are we breeding a social world where we are the only ones who do our thing like i mean i look at like normal people and they have like a bunch of friends who do a lot of different jobs yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and i'm like that's so weird (laughs) i don't know anybody that has a bunch of friends that do a different job or like it's just you know i just think okay i've already said that so i'm going to not repeat (laughs) myself seventy five thousand times kirsten I don't know. Like, you've shared a lot, and I think I don't know. There's just so much that I, I th- when I first wanted you to speak on this podcast, it was, it was very much, yeah. Kirsten's very much. She's inclusive. She's like um, something that you mentioned in the article um, for with Point Loma and Nazarene was um, what was it, the notion on elitism. 
Oh, I don't remember. You don't remember? You um, wrote it. I I, um, I didn't write it. Somebody wrote down what I said, and oh, I say true. a lot of words, John. <laughs> We're starting a culture that gets rid of elitism. That's yes. reason. And so these are all elements like, yeah, Kirsten needs to be on this podcast. But as I converse with you more, it's like that is intentional. That is core. But there's a lot more on how you get there. And I'm so glad that we had this conversation. I'm so glad to have this conversation. Because it's I, obviously... I think this is a good place to put it a pause. Uh, put a pause. Yeah. But there's a lot more work, and I'd love to have you on this podcast again. Yeah, absolutely, anytime. And I think you know, just to you know, in the same way that safe space is a word that is mm-hmm. just overused, and now we don't know what it means. Elitism's the same. Definitely. Again, that was. I, I'm so grateful for that article, but I think sometimes when we wave the flag of we're getting rid of elitism, what we do is we we. We have people pump the brakes because of the words we use, right? The words we use are need to be so intentional. And mm-hmm. yes, I don't want to be elitist, and I'm not elitist. I show up at my rehearsals, and like some of my teens are my great friends, and I I know like we just connect so much. But it's because I'm not any better than them. Yeah. I'm not any better than them. Do I know more about skills in music? Yeah, probably. I've been doing it for longer. Exactly. Right? But that's because of my story and my experience. Mm -hmm. And each of them has a story and each of them has an experience and each of them wants to be seen. Every single human being wants to be seen. So can we just see them? See them for who they are. And that's that's where I'm going to leave it, I think. But it was so great to be on your podcast. You. you have to come on mine, and again. then I'll come on yours again. And we'll just go back and forth and just continue having conversations. It's going to be and great. And hopefully next time we'll have Crystal as well, so we have like a bigger kind of flow. I am so down. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're going to continue after the break with Spiccato, but until then. I want to take a quick break and thank my husband, Brian, who's been working behind the scenes producing these episodes every week on all of the platforms and on time. But you need to know that he is first a financial planner for Mission Trails Financial. Mission Trails Financial is a partner that seeks to guide clients in the journey to financial success. They believe that people need a financial advisor that aims to provide strategies for success. Mission Trails Financial helps people navigate investments, tax planning, and insurance. Imagine working with an advisor who isn't tied to specific brands. Mission Trails Financial has a fiduciary responsibility to act in the best interests of their clients by providing independent, objective advice. Their mission is to help clients accomplish their financial goals. As Joe Vitale once said, a goal should scare you a little and excite you a lot. Do yourself a favor and set up a time to chat with Mission Trails Financial. Visit www.missiontrailsfinancial.com or call 619-419-0238 to schedule a call. You'll be glad you did. We believe that leaning on professionals is how we get ahead. Check out the program notes for more information. Welcome back from the break. But before we continue, a mild hard left turn. Thank you so much, everyone who's been part of this journey, who's been listening to this podcast for the past 40 no, not 40. I'm not that old. Four years. And <laughs> um, past four years, uh, past 70, I have, again, I don't know when it's published, but 78 plus episodes, whatever. Thank you so much. But would help us make sure that more people are listening to this and make sure that these lights proverbial today is proverbial because nothing's going to change with these lights. But <laughs> don't judge me. Um, is to make sure that you leave a review. I appreciate all those who have, um, but does keep um, ensuring that more people are listening and watching this. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, I apologize for the video di- dying, but... Go like it nonetheless. <laughs> and also, <laughs> uh, make sure you subscribe to make sure, again, more people are uh, watching this whatnot. And if you have any questions, you can always email us at chaoticharmony at chaoticharmonyclassroom at gmail.com. That all said, rigmarole aside, we have our spiccato. So today's spiccato, I have a pool noodle. You know what they are. The things that you place inside pools and they're noodle-ish and made of styrofoam. And well, uh, Kirsten, for spiccato, what we do is uh, we take a random object and we um, see what can, what can we do in the classroom with this pool noodle. What kind of activity or uh, what do you do with a pool noodle? What would I do with this pool noodle? What would I do with this pool noodle? <laughs> what would I do with this pool noodle? Um, let's see. 
obviously maybe not this one this one's kind of this broken. one's kind of broken but it's, it's fine all's well that ends well mm-hmm. um i just had to look through it like as if i was 10 there's no video portion so i need everyone to know <laughs> that i was just a 10 year old child to see if i could see through it Indeed. and Spoiler alert, I cannot see through it because it's broken. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah. So am I supposed to like actually make music with it right now or no, say, no, think of an talk, activity? Talk, yeah, think of activity. All right. So I'm thinking um, definitely like something rhythmic mm-hmm. um, and I would probably have them do some – like my initial thought is um, a steady beat activity and I would put two lines of students facing each other. And they had to pass it on the beat. So it would be like one, mm-hmm. two. And they have to pass it so that mm. it diagonally makes its way down the line. And then you could add a second one. Okay. So that way everybody's doing it, right? Okay. okay. Everybody's doing it. And then you've got this line of pool noodles. And then the last kid's got to run around to the end of the line and start again from the beginning. So something we didn't talk about in the main podcast is I love the activities that you've posted on regarding in, in South Shore, uh, in your course. Like, it is very interactive. It is not your standard sit on the chair and it'll be sing. Oh, yeah. I don't sit on chairs well. <laughs> <laughs> so the, like, this is, that's perfect. I love it. I love it. It's so visual and beautiful. Um, what would I do with a pool noodle? I think for me, from the... I really want to hit you with it. I'm not going to lie. You can hit me on this side as long as you have the – not, don't hit my – All right. I'm not going to hit you right now. Okay. We'll save it for later. We'll save it for later. We'll just make some content, you know. <laughs> uh, I think with Poonles, um is I'd use it as kind of like a – there is an activity that Dave Thaxton, who is a music teacher over at Reno – he calls it geometric digression. It's amazing. I love it. It's um, pretty much he plays music and you start off, you create a pose and you hold it for 32 beats. Mm. And then you create a new pose and you hold it for 16 beats. And then you hold a new pose, you hold it for eight beats and four, then two. Then depending on the piece of music you use, either one, one or one, 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 one. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to 32. And you just loop it. It's great. And it looks amazing. I feel like you could add the extension with the pool noodles that they, as long as they're opposed, but you have to connect with someone else's pool noodle. Ah, oh, there yeah. you go. So there there's you a go. little more spacing, whatnot, and but also you have to think about it's the fact that these pool noodles are so light and flimsy. Mm. How are you going to be able to hold a structure while also using a light flimsy? I like that both of our ideas actually had the students connecting on either side of the mm-hmm. pool noodle. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel like this could be a great, um, you know, you could cut this up into i mean you could probably cut this into four sections and if you have any students that maybe um need more space or don't want to hold hands in a circle um type ordeal you know you could have two kids holding the pool noodle and connecting that way and that would give your students who maybe have sensory or trauma related Mm. um around touching someone else that would give them a way to stay in the circle and participate in the activity and the connectedness necessary of a lot of circle games from elementary music and also could be a great a great tool for that well there you go you just got a one and a half options of uh (laughs) spiccato i just thought of that you know because i know that can be weird. You yeah. Know? We're st- I mean, we still are. We're post-school closure, but we're not post-COVID yet. And like, there are still people who are. And you never you know, know what's what's in someone's story. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. You never know why they, you know, if they say, I don't want to hold hands with that person. Well, that's true. Yeah. Why, are we forcing, <laughs> why are we forcing them? Because cooties are real. They are. Sorry, I was supposed to go the inverse. And then that joke just didn't land. Let's just do round of the week. Round of the week. Round of the week. All right, um, so I'm supposed to say my round, right? So yes, uh, you brought us around, Kirsten. What is this round? This round is from the Book of Rounds by October Project. Okay. Um, they are a group that was a Sony signed uh, pop group in the '90s, and then they wrote a book of rounds. And if you really want to hear their story, pop on over um, to my podcast. What's it's it called? Uh, Choral Connectivity: A People. For- first approach to singing and the episode um it's actually a two-part episode it's the art of collaboration Mm. part one and part two and they talk a lot about their book of rounds but it's a really accessible the 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 rounds themselves can be tricky and challenging and they have arrangements of these rounds they're just really really beautiful um i would go check it out and check out those episodes to hear them talk about it because it's really fascinating but i'm going to be sharing their song light because 
I just think it's really beautiful. And I think the words are really gorgeous, but simple enough that students can infer and explore their own meaning without it being poetry saying, what does this mean? Sure. It's how do you interpret this and bring it into your story? I like that a lot. I like that a lot. As someone who does suffer still is doing a lot more in that, like the former realm, I like that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So hit me up. What is it? All right. I'm not going to sing it in the original key because I don't feel like it. <laughs> I'm going to sing it in the key that I want to sing it in. Sorry, friends. Light will move through broken places, soften the edges of empty spaces. You breathe in the feeling and move into the night, a moment embracing what time is erasing the light. Oh, that was lovely. I it's don't also know, long. Yes, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to successfully do it, but let's try it. Do you want me to send it to you? Yeah, send it to me. Send it to me. Okay. There we go. Got it? Yeah. All right, let's do it together first and All right. then hold on to our bottoms. Sounds good. You like that key? Okay. Mm uh, yeah. All right. One. Ready. Light will move. Sorry, what line are we looking at? Oh, I'm uh, A. 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 Letter A. That's where the... Oh, I yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, 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 you're sorry. You're good, you good. Okay. <laughs> One. Take two. Ready. Light will move through broken places. Soften the edges of empty spaces. You breathe in the feeling and move into the night a moment embracing what time is erasing the light all right so where is the uh where does the round cut a light will move through broken places. Light okay. will move. All right. Let's see how we do. Um, actually, doing this is probably way easier. Um, all right. Let's try this out. All right. Who's first, me or you? You first. Okay. I'm going to follow you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Light will move through broken places. Soften Light the edges of empty spaces. You breathe in the, the feelings and move into the night. A moment embracing what time is erasing the What time is erasing the night? Crushed it. <laughs> Honestly, it's no, so good. That was no, I love it. I love it. Um, definitely not with your second graders, but like, still lovely. Like, I think I, yeah. it's really lovely for um second. The the arrangement itself is accompanied. It's got um. It, it is a round, but it's got different elements to it. It's, it opens with a homophonic section. So this book of rounds does that really nicely. Okay. So, okay. you know, we're all trying to build back our secondary choirs or even community choirs, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, adult choirs, they're not rounds that are meant for children, no. which I think is awesome and needed. Definitely, yes. Because the musical skills that that builds is necessary but it has text and melody that is more appropriate for like a secondary or like adult choir yeah 
And I think also if you teach K through six, that's definitely five and six. I think could. Oh, absolutely, they could do the round part for sure. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think the arrangement is for SAT. Um, I'm actually writing a baritone part for them um, because because I wanted to do it with my students. They were like, "Cool, like you need mm-hmm. to do it how you're going to do it because yeah. people first. And I'm like, "Yeah, people you're first. Wrong. Cool. Kirsten, thank you so much. You're the best. Is there anything you would like to plug other than the podcast that you mentioned, which is called? Coral Connectivity. What else? Coral Connectivity. Um, I guess the only other thing that I would say is if you haven't read the book, uh, Teaching with Respect by mm-hmm. Stephen, I don't know how to say his last name. I'm so sorry. Siek. Okay. Um, that's how it's spelled, at least. Uh, if you have not read that book, walk, uh, run, do not walk. Mm-hmm. Run, do not walk to Amazon and order it immediately and grab a highlighter and grab a pencil. Um, I am actually currently on my second time through it it is an amazing book that is totally people first and i'm actually gonna um purchase it for my entire artistic staff and i'm currently writing a guide around it um for guide questions for my artistic staff to bring us together in terms of mission and value and what we um kind of want to bring to our students um but if you have not read that book I, I no one has paid me to say this. It is that good of a book. Mm-hmm. Like just go run and read that book because it will change the way that you look at your classroom. Awesome. And if people want to reach out to you, where should they reach to you? Uh they can find me on all the socials. Um Kirsten Oberoi, K I R S T E N O B E R O I. Look I'm like you. Um <laughs> uh, you so you can definitely like friend me on Facebook, find me on Instagram, Coral Con- Connectivity Podcast Instagram, um, Coral Connectivity Facebook page, Facebook group. Mm. Um, you know, there's a gazillion ways I'm you know, just come find me on the interwebs. <coughs> I'm down for it. Awesome. And you can find me at Mr. Seligman, M-R-S-E-L-I-G-M-A-N on all the socials as you just stole my lines, but it's okay. Different letters. Um, and uh, you can find us at CH Classroom um, on every social. We're still on Twitter. We're still on Twitter. You know, like earlier on we had that little <laughs> scare, but like, you know, we're still holding on. Hive is kind of dead. Maybe. I don't know. You can tell me if it's still living. Um, but you could uh, also email us at chaoticharmonclassman.gmail.com. Kirsten, it's been an utmost pleasure. And it is so wonderful to chat with you, John, and, you know, anytime. Get the, the pool. Hit me. Hit me. Hit me. No, see, this has to be private for your <laughs> Patreon. If you yeah. go subscribe on Patreon, you will see me hit John with a pool noodle. Ah. Uh, All right. Okay. Okay. Bye. <laughs> bye. The Chaotic Harmony Podcast is a joint project between Crystal Pridmore and Jonathan Seligman. You can find us online at chaoticharmonyclassroom.com. You can email us at chaoticharmonyclassroom at gmail and let us know what you think. Give us feedback about what you would like to hear in future episodes. We're on all the socials. Find us on facebook.com slash chaoticharmonyclassroom. You can find us on Twitter at chclassroom, Instagram at chaoticharmonyclassroom, and you can even find our episodes on YouTube. Chaotic Harmony is the name of our channel. Special thanks to Brian Pridmore for his help with production and equipment. www.pridmoria.com. Thank you.